This afternoon we will give attention to a doctrine of Holy Scripture as summarized in the Heidelberg Catechism, which has to do with God, the Father, and our creation. Let us therefore open our Bibles and read from the Word of God, which speaks to God the Father as being our Creator God. We read about that in Isaiah 40, verses 12 to 31, and we'll also look at Romans 8, verse 31 to 39. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning at verse 12. We read here the word of God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him. With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket, and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not suffice to burn nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is to impoverish for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the prince to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known... Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, never faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's now also read from Romans 8, 
verses 31 to 39. After Apostle Paul speaks the word of God concerning the golden chain of salvation, which we looked at last week, the word of the Lord continues with verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ Jesus who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thus far, the reading from God's holy word. Let us now read the doctrine concerning God the Father and our creation, as we is summarized in Lord's Day 9. Lord's Day 9, question and answer 26, has the following question and answer. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as a mighty God and willing also as a faithful Father. After the proclamation of the Lord's Word, we will respond to singing from Psalm 103, verses 2, 5, and 7. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord C. 9 speaks about the first person of our triune God. In doing so, it speaks about three attributes of the first person of the Trinity, namely God as Father, God as Almighty, and God as Creator. If you would begin with the latter, God our creator, then we will see with what majesty and wisdom God created all things. Then we will see that God made all things with man in focus, so that man would be equipped with everything he stood in need of to praise and glorify his creator God forever and ever. That was the purpose and goodwill of our creator God. But if we would examine order of creation, as God created all things in six days, then we would notice that there's a certain order. 
from lower beings to higher beings, and that the lower beings are as food, as sustenance for the higher beings. Now, there are also those who look at all things created and inclined to categorize them into three categories, into three natural kingdoms, namely the mineral kingdom, the vegetable kingdom, and the animal kingdom. The mineral kingdom would then constitute those things that have lifeless bodies. The vegetable kingdom are then those things that have life but not free, free movement. And the animal kingdom would then be those that have life and free movement. Now, there's a true story that goes like this. Back in the 1800s, there was a certain king, King Frederick William IV of Persia, who was a devout Christian. He once visited the school, and he wanted to test the children on their knowledge of these various natural kingdoms. And this is how he did that. He took off his ring, and he showed it to the students, says, to which of these three natural kingdoms does this ring belong? The students answered, to the mineral kingdom. Okay. Very good, said the king. Then he took an orange out of his pocket, and he said, to which kingdom does this orange belong? Again, the students shouted out, to the vegetable kingdom. Excellent. You seem to know your kingdoms very well. And as the king was talking, he looked out to the window, and he saw a bird sitting on the tree. And he says, to which kingdom does this bird belong? The children answered, to the animal kingdom. Excellent, said the king. But now, to which kingdom do you belong? To which kingdom do you belong, brothers and sisters? There was silence in the class. For the students had been taught well. They knew very well they didn't belong to the mineral kingdom, nor to the vegetable kingdom, but also not to the animal kingdom. Even though some say we, we come from apes, from monkeys, and even though our DNA is about 95% the same, they knew that man did not come from the animal kingdom. But to which kingdom do we then belong? Well, after a little while, a little girl, shyly put up her finger. It says, O king, we belong to a heavenly kingdom. The king was so overjoyed, she picked up the little girl and gave her a big hug. Isn't that a beautiful answer, brothers and sisters? We belong to a heavenly kingdom. We are heaven-bound. We were created and now recreated in Christ's blood and spirit to communicate with our creator God forever and ever to praise and glorify Him. Isn't that beautiful? Praise God. Sure, our bodies have some similarities to the animal kingdom, but we were created so different. We were created so special. God formed us with His own hands. The Father formed us out of the dust of the ground, and He blew His own breath of life into our nostrils. In fact, God considered us so special that he did not actually create us, before create means actually to make out of nothing. He did not say, let there be man, and there was man. No, God took time, and he formed man's body with his very own hands. Man of the dust of the ground, and woman from the rib of man. He did not do that for any other creature. Further, God the Father also consulted 
with His Son and His Holy Spirit to make us in His image and in His likeness. Now, what does that mean? Well, from other parts of Scripture, especially from Ephesians and Colossians, we get to understand what that actually means. It means to be made in holiness, righteousness, knowledge, and dominion. Holy, meaning unique, extraordinary, different. Nothing can be compared. God is holy, extraordinary. Nothing can be compared to God. So God made man holy. Nothing can be compared to man. Man is unique. He's the pinnacle of creation. God created man righteous. This says God was righteous. God knew no evil, did no evil. God made man to know only right. God created, gave, created man in knowledge. As God knew, he also gave man also knowledge so that man could, could relate to God. God could walk with Adam in the cool of the day and converse with him. And God gave man dominion. God gave man to take care of the garden. What creature, what animal can relate to God as man can? And now, after the fall, God has also become even a very special father to us. A God of an amazing grace, an amazing love and mercy. For through his only son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he has adopted us to become a special redeemed people. And so, brother and sister, I may proclaim to you the word of God this afternoon as follows. Our creator God has become our personal father. And we'll see two points. God is an eternal father, and secondly, God is my personal father. So first of all, God, our creator God has become our personal father through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is an eternal father. Now, the father image carries some connotations, as you're well aware of. An image of a father carries with it that there's offspring. When a man marries, he's only a husband. He can only become a father when he receives a son or daughter, either by procreation or, or by adoption. And so when we confess that God is a father, we immediately confess that he has a son. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's quite logical. But how far can we carry through with our logic? For example, how did God receive a son? Does he have a wife? Did he get married? We know that God didn't have a wife and didn't get married. Even to think in those terms seems to be sacrilegious. True, it doesn't fit our logic anymore. In man's mind, there can only be a son if there's also a wife. But we don't have a problem with that with respect to God having a son. We simply believe that because the Bible tells us so. We praise God for that childlike faith that we may believe what the Bible tells us. But we must thank God for such childlike faith in this very crucial aspect concerning the triune God. For not only will it very much affect our eternal salvation, but also thousands, even billions of people in the world that don't believe this, simply because it's not logical. Think of the Islam faith, which is one of the fastest growing religions in the world, perhaps also in our own country. For a Muslim that God has a son, that is considered vulgar, blasphemous, sacrilegious. Because that means for them that God has a wife and that God had relations. And so the Muslims consider Christianity as a vulgar religion. 
But we must indeed confess to believe this doctrine as God as Father is a matter of faith, is a gift from God, for it doesn't fit our logic. Now we might also ask ourselves, why did God even reveal himself to us in this Father image in the first place? Because, brothers and sisters, the term Father-Son carries with it a relationship. It's a relationship of love, of unity, of fellowship, of, of oneness, but also a relationship of authority and subordination. And Scripture is quite clear on the love of the Father for the Son, as well as the love of the Son for the Father. Take Matthew 3, verse 17, for example, in, in Jesus' baptism. We hear the Father declaring, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the love of the Son is, is very clearly indicated in, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he struggled with death, even to the point where his sweat turned to blood. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. Yes, brothers and sisters, Father-Son is not just a terminology concerning our God, but it reveals how awesome our God exists within himself. Father-Son is a relationship, very close, genuine, intimate relationship. Now may I ask you fathers in the congregation, what kind of relationship do you have with your sons and daughters? Is it very close? Is it genuine? Is it loving? What image might your children have of you as father in the household? Do you see you as a gentle person? A loving father? A patient father? There's time for them? Or a father that doesn't have much time? Maybe a bit angry at times. But do you realize, brothers, what image your children have of you can very much affect what image they may have of their Heavenly Father? That's a quite a responsibility we have then, brothers. For example, when a daughter is abused by the earthly father, it's very hard for that daughter to love their Heavenly Father. For to her, how can that Heavenly Father allow their earthly father to do such horrible things to her? And some have even left the faith because they can't get over the fact that the Heavenly Father allowed their earthly father to do such horrible things. Yes, by the grace of God, some have been preserved. Let us not undermine how our walk and our talk affect our children's response to the gospel of grace. We do have quite a responsibility, brothers. Further, God revealed this unique relationship within himself to us as father-son, so that we would also come to know God, the Father, better. For it is so that as we come to know the Son better, so we also come to know the Father better. That is what the Lord Jesus told the Pharisees. In John 8, he said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Later, the Lord said the same thing to Thomas. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Though we have that sometimes ourselves too, Though we sometimes see, say, ah, he's just like his father. Or, so mother, so daughter. Sometimes we can tell who the parents are from the features and behaviorism of our children. So God has revealed himself also as a son. So that as his son came to earth in human form, we would receive a deeper and better understanding both of the justice of God 
and the mercy of God, both of which are exemplified in Christ's bitter suffering on the cross. Through Christ's walk all the days of his life upon the earth, but especially at the end of his life on the cross, we have come to know the great love and mercy of the Father. And we have come to know the Father's will for us, how we should walk in faithfulness and love before him. Now the Catechism speaks of three ways that God is Father. First of all, that he is the eternal Father of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, he is Father of the universe. He brought it all about. He created it all. He's the creator of God. And thirdly, that he is the Father of all believers through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, he is first of all called an eternal Father. That means he always had a son. There was never a time when God was simply God without distinction of persons within the Godhead. He was always Father, and so his Son was always with him. The Apostle John in this Gospel clearly speaks about the Father creating this universe, yet through his Son, thereby proving the eternal existence of the fatherhood of God. John 1 says that the Son was in the beginning with God the Father, and that through the Son all things were made, and without the Son nothing was made that has been made. Secondly, in the Scripture, God the Father is not only the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also called Father in relation to all that He has made. He alone fathered this universe. He brought it all about. And so the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesians, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And Malachi 2.10 says, Have you not all one Father? Has not one God created us? We also read a few verses from, from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah writes about God as creator and the upholder and governor of all that he has made. When we read these words in Isaiah, don't we feel small? God is so great, far beyond our human imagination. Isaiah writes that the nations are about like a drop in the bucket. A whole nation, like the United States, Canada, just a drop in the bucket. Or it's dust on the scales. Wow. That's quite the contrast, isn't it? But clearly, in God's eyes, but far beyond our imagination. Such is the greatness of our God. How small human beings are then. God is an amazing God. Take the little things. And we can see how great God is. For example, when I come back from, from Papua New Guinea, come back to Toronto, driving down to 401, sometimes there's 12 lanes. At nighttime, you see all the lights. Six going this way, six coming this way. One moment, how much fuel is being burned up in that moment? It goes on and on and on. It's just one city. How many cities in the world? Where does all that fuel come from? Who provides it all? Does it ever run out? What an amazing God we have. Another comparison. Take a pail of water. How much water can you carry in one pail? When is it too heavy for you? That's just a pail of water. What about all the clouds? How much water is up there? And yet it never comes down. Falls upon us as a cloud. It would crush us. Who's holding all that up? God is an amazing God. Think about these little things. How amazing our God is. 
unimaginably great is our God. Isaiah also points us to the skies. He says, look at all the stars. Look at the Milky Way. Billions and billions. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created all these? Who brings out their host by number? He calls them all by name. One by one. Those billions of stars. He knows each one of them. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. These are but stars. Those are not so important to him. You are more important to him. You are the crown of his creation. And brothers and sisters, when we have to deal with big people, sometimes we quick, quick, quickly give up, don't we? When you're in the high places, you don't always have time for the little people. But brothers and sisters, the greatness of our God the Father is that despite God being so great and so mighty, such an amazing creator God, he continues to give minute attention to each and every little person, every, each and every little creature. Just think of the billions of creatures that exist all around us, great and small, yet God supplies for each and every one of them. And there's harmony, there's order in creation, an amazing God. But an almighty God and eternal Father we have. That same mighty hand that created all things still maintains all things. We are not living aimlessly, but under direction and guidance of a God who loves us and who has a wonderful purpose for us, his children. This is his almighty and eternal will and counsel. What a comfort that is to us, brothers and sisters, especially as there appears to be such increasing chaos in the world around about us, wars and rumors of wars, disasters, catastrophes, hurricanes. Our comfort and, amaze and amazement becomes even greater when we realize and believe that our heavenly eternal Father of his own free will worked out all things in such a way so that he would also become a personal father to each of us. And so we come to the second point. This great God is my personal father. Yes, this great God has become your and my personal father. So the catechism, after stating the facts of Scripture that God is the Father, the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that He created all things out of nothing, and that, is, and that in them, and still upholds and governs them by His eternal counsel and power, says then that this great God is for the sake of Christ, His Son, my God, and my Father. In other words, it is Christ who made this great God of the universe to be not only my God, amazing God, Almighty God, but also to become my, my father, my personal father. He's not only the God and father of the universe, he is also not only the God and father for others, but he's also for me, for each of us. He's also your father and my father. That is the faith that God is working in our hearts. He's my God and my father. Each, of, each one of us can say that. We may speak about our father, God, in this way. But that was not always so, was it? Although God is our Father, in the sense that He brought us into this world, we, through our fall into sin, have become prodigal sons and daughters. We rejected God the Father who created us and had become sons of the evil one, the devil. Satan had become the God of our lives and wanted to bring us to his eternal home, everlasting darkness and extreme suffering of hell. Yes, that is where we were going if God in his grace did not intervene. We start off as, as prodigal sons and daughters, rebellious. 
But our Father in heaven was not like the Father in the parable that the Lord Jesus told. You know how in a parable of the prodigal son, the father stood under Brandon every day, gazing out in the distance, hoping and praying that his prodigal son would return home. Our Father in heaven was not like that. Is not like that. Thank God, otherwise we would still be left in darkness. No, rather, God our Father sent out his son to track us down, to bring us home, to take us back, to make us part of his family. Isn't that wonderful? Such a glorious God, such a merciful Father. And you remember the joy the father had when his prodigal son finally did come home? There was feasting. There was celebration. And so there will be feasting and celebration with the angels of heaven each time a sinner is brought back through the preaching and teaching of God's holy word and through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Our great God and creator has become our personal father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have a renewed relationship with God Almighty. The Almighty, Heavenly, Eternal Father has become our personal Father. God is not just our Creator, but now also our very personal, in a very personal sense, our Father. Each of us may say that personally. God graciously adopted me too, bought me too, with the precious blood of His only Son. God is my personal Father, even though he's at the same time also our father. Just like sons and daughters may say about the earthly father, he's my father at one time, and our time may speak about him as our father when he has siblings. And mom and dad have a personal relationship with each of their children while also having a communal relationship with all their children altogether. The one does not take anything away from the other. Just because God is our father together doesn't take anything away from his very, very personal interests in each and every one of us individually. You know, in reality, Brian says, there is no one, literally no one, who could be more personal to you than your Heavenly Father. And the Lord's Day 9 tries to bring this out, this very personal aspect of our relationship with the Heavenly Father. Notice how often the first personal pronoun is used, the words I, me, my. The Almighty God, the God of wrath, because of my sins, has become a compassionate, loving father to me. Far more so than any father on earth can ever be. The Lord Jesus once said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask it of him? Yes, we struggle as fathers, don't we? We struggle with our sins and to do what's best for our children. But our Father in heaven is perfect, and he knows the perfect gift what is truly best for each and every one of us. And he will provide for us according to each of our needs. Everything we stand in need of for body and soul. And so the Catechism also states, he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. Do you struggle with that statement? Whatever adversity he sends me? Does God send me adversity? Surely not, we're inclined to say. God is a God of love, not a God of evil. He will not make life miserable for me, will he? No. God does not make life miserable for us. Sure, it may seem that he does sometimes, for evil is not outside of his control. He does 
allow sometimes troubles and struggles in our lives when he could prevent it. However, first of all, we should remember that we brought all the trouble upon our own lives by our sin. And secondly, the Lord does also allow troubles in our lives for our own good at times. Through troubles, he draws us closer to him and draws us away from sin, away from our self-reliance. Through troubles, he's purifying us, preparing us for heavenly glory. Remember, we belong to heavenly kingdom. We are bought in the precious blood of the Lamb, the Son of God. We are heaven-bound. The more we see our troubles from this perspective, the easier our burdens become. And the more we realize that the troubles are for, are for uh, tribulation are for our own good. Don't we have that sometimes with our own children? Sometimes we need to decide something for which our children say, that's not fair. Or that we're trying to make life difficult for them. They can't understand our decision until sometimes later. Take, for example, you promised your sons that you would go rock climbing to high falls on a steep mountain on a certain Saturday, together with a number of other dads and their sons. It promises to be a day of a lot of fun. However, when the day comes, you decide not to go because at Friday evening there was so much rain, you feel that rocks are going to be way too slippery, not safe to climb up. And so you decide not to go. And your boys are terribly upset with you. They're angry with you. So you brace yourself for a horrible day. As the day goes on, you hear a helicopter flying towards the falls. And you realize something went wrong. A few hours later, you find out that a father had fallen from the high falls onto a boulder below, cracked open his head. Then your sons thank you for holding on to your decision. They see the wisdom of your decision and for sticking to it. So also God our Father knows what's best for us. And sometimes that means not giving us what we feel we need. And that can also sometimes mean by taking away from us something or someone who is very precious to us, very dear to us, someone we feel we can't do without. And that can be extremely hard. As when the Lord in his wisdom takes home unto himself a young child of ours or a spouse at a very young age. In such cases and other hardships in life, it is so important then and so valuable then to know that our majestic and glorious God of heaven is a personal and loving Father to you. God, our Father, comes to us in Jesus Christ as a personal Father, even more personal than your own father and mother. Do you believe that? God, your Father, is more personal to you than even your own father and mother. Believe it, for it is true. At a certain point, even your father and your mother or your bosom friend can't understand you anymore, can't comfort you sufficiently. But then you can go to your bedroom and you can close the door behind you and you can fall on your knees before your heavenly father, pour out your heart to him who has allowed you to call him and to cry out to him, Abba, Father. He alone knows you through and through all your needs. For he created you in your mother's womb. He knew you long before you were born, even conceived. He thought of you and even before the foundation of the earth was formed. He wrote every day of your life in his book. And all your days are numbered. Not one will take place outside of his will. Therefore, you may be assured, brothers and sisters, that he hears your cry. 
You who are lonely, you who are widows, you who are single, or childless, or handicapped, you who struggle with various issues and miseries of life, maybe physical pain in the body or mental anguish. So many struggles we can go through. Brothers and sisters, do you think that such a personal father, such a loving and compassionate, merciful father can close his ears to the crying hearts of his children? Can any mother or father close their ears to the sincere cry and misery of their children? Much less your heavenly father. That does not mean that our lost child will be returned to us or a spouse or our lost job or whatever the list of misery can go on. But it does mean that our Father in Heaven is there beside you. He's with you. He will never leave you alone. He will never forsake you. He will comfort you. He says to us via the Son, Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He will comfort you by giving you the courage and the strength to go on in life and by giving you a different perspective on life, how you can yet serve Him. Yes, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans so beautifully, it's a confession from the Apostle Paul's own heart that has gone through a lot of sorrow and misery, many imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death, shipwrecked three times, in danger of wild animals, in danger of his own people. He suffered cold and exposure, hunger and thirst, toils and hardship. It is through all this suffering that the Apostle Paul grew very close to his God, his Heavenly Father. He learned to trust in Him completely. And God, our Father, means to do that no less for you and for me. He is bringing us home, brothers and sisters. He's bringing us to His eternal rest, to His eternal dwelling place. What a comfort it is then to know that whatever adversity He sends me in this life, it has a divine and eternal purpose. God, my Heavenly Father, is preparing me for my heavenly home. There is a place for you and for me in this heavenly mansion. Yes, we are heaven-bound, brothers and sisters. We belong to a heavenly kingdom. And so we can say with the Apostle Paul, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know in whom I believe. You and me, you and me can say that daily. Therefore, I know and believe, too, that God is able to carry me through the valley of tears, being an almighty God, and willing also, being a faithful father, Amen.